Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you as always. IndyCar at Road America. Over the weekend, Alex Pillow continues his dominant, I mean dominant run in the series championship now with a 74-point lead. Z wins the Sancio Grand Prix at Road America. Third win in fourth races. You throw that in with his F1 test at Budapest, along with an Indy 500 pull in a fourth. And the Indy 500, I mean, this is some of the best we've well, seen since a driver. Well, going all the way back to 2020 and Scott Dixon's run to start the season was three straight wins. So Alex Blow with a massive championship lead. We'll recap a wild weekend that involved willpower going back to the old willpower, drama on pit lane, and more. That's all to come on this episode, plus updates on some silly season stuff, schedule stuff as well. But first off, hi, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. Yeah, everything coming up Polo yes. these days in IndyCar. Hello, Polo, as Lee Diffie. I guess you can almost say infamously set for Pillow's first win. Yeah. Because it's become, become kind of a joke. Now it's happening more and more. In dominant and fashion. I think there's a, a greater conversation to be had about him as far as it's not just IndyCar now, uh, as far as is being in the conversation for his future. So Alex Pillow gets the win. This is not really a, a surprise. He, he finds a way in a race that Colton Herta absolutely dominated but had some issues on the final stint. It wasn't just the fuel save, apparently, as Marshall Pruitt pointed out in his mailbag this week. But for Alex Pillow, as we get to our three things, I think the first thing is I firmly believe this championship is over. I know it's crazy. I know we're, we're eight out of 17 races through. But you start off this strong, it is really hard. To, to fall back. You you have a race and a half lead over second place. Especially for the team he runs for in Ganassi. This is a team that is one of the two teams that is capable of winning a championship in this series. And I've, I firmly believe that. Until somebody else does, it's two teams. So he, he checks that box. And he also checks the box of past success. Already won a championship. So you feel like he can continue to carry it. And in my opinion, thirdly, the lack of consistency behind him. Somebody's going to have to get on a hell of a run to make something happen against Alex Pillow. Because not only is he winning races, he's not finishing in the back of the field. What's his worst finish of the year? Eighth? Uh, Alex Pillow's worst finish of the 2023 season is eighth. And that was the first race at St. Pete. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't finished outside the top eight this season. And that, the, it, it's crazy consistency. So Alex Pillow really in the catbird seat for the championship right now. Crazier things have happened, but not that many crazier things. That's for sure. And then we start having the conversation of if a two-time series champion departs the team in which he's won those two championships to go to somewhere else and wins the last time that happened. And you, sir, did some research. I did some research, and I'll admit, I probably missed something. But the last time a two-time series champion switched teams in IndyCar that I can think of as far as you know, staying in the series, because you could say, well, Sebastian Bourdais and Champ Car went to F1 then came back with Coin, right. but that's a little different. That's not the scenario we're talking about. 
Um, but the last time I could think of would be Sam Hornish Jr. Because Scott Dixon never left any teams. Um, I mean, you look at Dario went as a one-time winner to NASCAR, then to Ganassi and close out his career there. Um, Elio never won a title. Um, Will Power still at Penske. Uh, Joseph Newgarden never won a title at, at Fi- Sarah Fisher and Ed Carpenter and, and then the, the combo team before he went to Penske. So uh, to me, the, the closest thing I could find was Sam Hornish going from Panther to Penske. And I mean, going from Ganassi to F1 will be one thing for Alex Pillow. Go from Ganassi to McLaren will be something altogether different because Alex Pillow will, ha- will then go to a team that has not yet won a championship, that has not won an Indianapolis 500, and will take his services there, if that happens. And it's a lot of confidence in McLaren getting it figured out. But Alex Pillow, very much the heavy, heavy favorite to win the championship. And then before that, I mean, you go back to Cart, is that I could come up with was Bobby Rahal, uh, going from True Sports to... Um, I believe it was was Gallus, I think first. I think so, yeah. And then he started his own team, but he won back to back cart titles. I want to say in like an eighty six and eighty seven. Then went to Gallus, I believe, in eighty nine or ninety with Alan Sir Junior. And then uh, Ray Hall Hogan, you know, started I think in ninety one or ninety two. So, but yeah, for Hornish, I mean, he won two thousand one, two thousand two. Uh, with Panther and then went to Penske in 2004. So like, there's not even like a, like, yes, that that's the closest thing I could find, but even that's different because he went from an IRL team to a team in Penske that came over to the IRLs. Even that feels different. So like you really have to go back to Bobby Rahal as far as the, the last time I can think of, of this happening in IndyCar. And it's, it's been a good 30 plus years. Just thorough domination. He's doing everything he needs to do to get a look from a Formula One team because we know that's where he wants to be. That's what he wants to get to, and that's perfectly fine. But he needs to do it sooner rather than later, right? And winning a championship in a dominant fashion this year, is that enough for an Alpha Tauri? Or something, somebody of that vein to take a flyer on Alex Pillow. He's hoping so. And Marshall Pruitt had a story, racer.com, talking about Pillow and as far as the silly season. So it's not just, you know, the going to McLaren, which is what we thought all along, right? That he was off to McLaren. It was a done deal. Well, now it seems to be a bit more complicated. Than that, um, there are rumors that Chip Ganassi Racing, you know, has, has made an offer to keep low in the, the ten cars part of a multi-year extension to replace his current one-year deal. Um, it's kind of gone back and forth. Then we've thought McLaren. Well, there's also a possibility of him getting a seat in F1. Look, he has a super license, so that's not an issue. That was the issue with Colton Herta. He's 26 years old. This is now or never, as Marshall writes, and that's true, as far as getting the F1 opportunity. I don't think Leno Norris, is. he's not going anywhere. Oscar Piastri, he's not going any, anywhere at McLaren, but obviously, Pelot's done the tests with McLaren. 
So Alpha Tower, as you mentioned, could that be an option for all of this? Uh, I, I don't think McLaren is an option for 2024. I, I, but it, it's a possibility. But I would say you look at all these things, anything seems possible on the table. At this point, right now, if you had to predict, is he at Ganassi, McLaren, or F1 next year? Where is he? Honestly, I think F1. I, I really think so, too, if he continues to dominate the second half of the season like he has the first half. Uh, just basically looking at how this has played out. Look, it's not just McLaren is an option. Now, Oscar Piastri has a long-term deal. Could he go somewhere? Yes. Lando Norris is not going anywhere on that team. I think that's a good No, I don't think McLaren F1... I'd be surprised if they changed their driver lineup. You you never know, though, right? Because... You you never know, I guess, if they could have some upgrades going through this season and Piastri continues to underperform, maybe, but I don't think they're they're doing one and done with Oscar Piastri. I think that team is the same twosome next year. Yeah, I I would think so, but Red Bull, Alpha Tauri, junior team dynamic, um, it, it seems to be... Uh, a possibility, but with Pelo, look, anything's possible. His management's going to be pushing for an F1 ride. I would not be shocked. But if I if I were to predict right now where he goes, I would say F1, especially if if he wins the IndyCar championship. Look, there's nothing left to prove in IndyCar. He would take any seat that was available. Well, I mean, he would leave without winning an Indianapolis 500. But um, I do think at some point he finds his way back to IndyCar. I do too. I think he goes to Formula One, does his thing for two, four, six years, who knows how long he lasts there, and then spit out the other end and comes back to IndyCar, and I think that's a perfectly fine approach, but this is a dude that everything revolves around getting to the pinnacle of open wheel racing or the pinnacle of of motorsport in the world, and that's Formula One, love it or hate it, and he's doing everything he possibly can to prove that he belongs there, and we're witnessing it in dominant fashion. Yeah, Alex Blow yet to finish outside the top 10 this season. Three wins in four races. He has two poles as well. This is about as good of a start we've seen from a driver in quite some time. Uh, I mean, even going back to Scott Dixon in his 2020 season. I mean, yes, he won the first three races of that year. But then you, you go back 12th at Road America, second at, at Iowa. Uh, a fifth at Iowa, second at Indy. So he already had a, a, a non-top uh, 10 f- finish in the fourth race of the year. Alex Blow hasn't done that, and we're halfway, basically halfway through the season. It's pretty wild. Uh, my number one, let's talk about Colton Herta. Let's do it. And we've been wondering about when we would see Colton Herta break out and get back to form in the sense of dominating a weekend. And we saw that the majority of the race on Sunday and then let down by strategy and let down by his pit crew. And at some point, Colton Hurt is going to snap, I feel, and really make his, um, his feelings known about this team because Alexander Rossi left Andretti Autosport because he felt he wasn't being given the best opportunity to compete week in and week out, season in and season out. You can debate whether he was right or wrong. When does Colton Herta reach that point? I know that Brian is is a big part of, of Andretti Autosport, of course. I get it. 
But at the same time, when does Colton Herta look elsewhere? Maybe does a Penske or Ganassi look at Colton Herta the next time his contract comes up and and looks and sees if he's if he's available? If you're Colton Herta, I feel at some point in your career you have to take a good long hard look and think: Is Andretti Autosport really where I am maximizing my potential? Because I think the answer is no. This was a weekend where the team clearly let him down. Look, since his last race win at uh, the Indy Grand Prix last May, uh, there there have been cases where he let the team down and vice versa. But but this one's very clear. Marshall Pruitt even said it in his mailbag. So he had enough fuel and tires to go one more lap as far as on that that stint. But the team chose to call him in one lap before everyone else. Uh, Pruitt also reporting that. They had had significant radio issues during the race, so you never know if that's a factor. Uh, also, did not receive a full tank of fuel on that final stop because that's the other thing. Like, that's the big why thing. should it have been that big of an issue? It shouldn't have been for him to go from the lead of the race to lucky to finish in the top five and, and feel like you you threw away a race win, which is exactly what happened. Here. It, it was one thing to pit early and have to go longer on a long track, but the fact that you weren't able to get the fuel tank full, really doomed Colton Herta. And, and I just feel like when when does Colton Herta reach a point where he's just tired of it and is like, I, I need a fresh start elsewhere. We saw Alexander Rossi do the exact same thing, is go from Andretti Autosport to another team he feels he can compete better with. And by and large, I think we've seen Alexander Rossi look the part this year, but uh, still has some some ways to go. But when do we reach that with Colton Herta? I know he's attached to that team. He's still pretty young. I mean, what is it? Another year of struggles, two years, three years before he's like, I got to get, get out of here. But uh, I know Colton Herta has, has hurt himself at times, but he's also being let down by his team at times. And that gets old and you want to go somewhere where that, the chances of that are limited. At some point you got to piece it all together. And for Andretti, if they have a car, it's capable of winning. You know, a race. It feels like we we see that right away on a, on a race weekend. But then vice versa, we also see if they don't come out strong in the early practice sessions, they're not going to be a contender. I feel like in a couple of years, if we're still talking about a big three in IndyCar, it doesn't include Andretti Autosport. I just feel like their trajectory of McLaren and Andretti are in different directions and or at the very least the gap is closing between McLaren and Andretti Autosport and I think in a couple years they surpass Andretti as that third of the big three in my opinion yeah and I mean they've been that clear third I mean they haven't won a title since 2012 it's been Penske and Ganassi ever since so I mean the the numbers completely play that out on where it stands, but for Herta, this is, it's gotta be tough. Now, I guess the positive is there's more races to come and, and he'll be strong at some of these tracks coming up, uh, test at Iowa. Not that I think it testing times mean a ton, but he did have the top testing time. He is coming off his first poll of the season, which is kind of hard to believe he hadn't won a poll before road America weekend. But at some point you got to feel like this team breaks through because Kyle Kirkwood with the only win in a dominant Long Beach performance that, let's be fair, Andretti, that is one track they have figured out better compared to, to anyone else. 
But beyond that, I mean, this is a, a team that we're looking at the standings in the season and Colton Herta in ninth, Kyle Kirkwood in 10th. That's, That's it. the highest for Andretti Autosport. Grosjean back in 13th. He's had four straight uh, finishes outside the, the top 10. In fact, he had those back-to-back second-place finishes and he's had two poles, but all of his other finishes are outside the top 10. There's no consistency there and he had a horrendous weekend. Well, there's consistency. It was consistently good. Now it's consistently bad. Yes. So I, I think a guy who we thought, oh, for sure he'll get that contract extension at Andretti, even just saying they were shaky. working on it, I feel like that's on hold at this point, as it should be. Uh, your number two point coming out of Road America. Number two point coming out of Road America. Uh, let's talk about willpower. Oh, let's do it. This is a guy who last year he was, you know, touting he's on this new. He was cool, calm, and collected. Yeah. Yeah, that, that completely went away. Now, I think there are factors. It's been a very stressful year for him uh, with his wife uh, in and out of the hospital over the course of the weekend, and Marshall Pruitt pointed this out, easy to forget. So his fueler, not there this weekend because his fueler tragically lost uh, uh, his wife, um, what, a week or two ago, so leading up to the race weekend. So there's some external factors. And then just a the simple fact that Scott Dixon made a very surprising bonehead mistake you almost felt like, is Scott Dixon, you know, is he just lost the edge, but then in the race, perfectly fine. Yeah, he Finished climbed all fourth, the way up to fourth. He's fine. 23rd to fourth. But for willpower, it was a fiery weekend. We got classic double birds, which we hadn't seen in, in years. Uh, we also got some other highlights on, on Saturday after that crash with Dixon. Saying Nobody Grosjean should yeah. be punched in the face. Talking about a, a move over, going full speed on one of the straightaways. I mean, this was the track. The the track was crap. And in fact, the Road America president uh, parked the the crap truck. Yes, right in front of Power's bus, and then Power moved it in front of Scott Dixon's bus. So (laughs) there's a lot of entertainment on all of that. But all in all, um, this was a a willpower who I think at the end of the weekend it, it calmed down. But we hadn't seen something like this in quite some time from him. It was uh, it was refreshing to see, but I, I do think a lot of that has to do with the the rough emotional ride that he and the team have been on with his wife, and uh, now the tragedy within the team, and also being a totally unexpected move from a driver the caliber of Scott Dixon, and it was just an error, and Scott Dixon from the jump said it was my fault, and I apologize just to, just didn't see him and. It's a difficult corner too to pick up traffic coming, but it was a mistake by Scott Dixon. And while Scott Dixon had to go to a completely new car, they repaired Will Power. Yet Scott Dixon had the better Sunday as opposed to Will Power. It was just a a difficult weekend all around for him. It eventually became a a more teasing matter than anything by the end of Saturday, at the very least, between the two. But um, you could just see the 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 release of of emotion in a negative way from Will Power immediately after that incident. I don't blame him for acting that way. No, no. Uh, but uh, at the same time, it's it's very unWill Power like from what we've uh, what we've seen last year. In the end, you can't change people in the sense of how they react to stuff, and you can challenge or you can channel that energy into a positive or, or a different way, but. Will Power just—he'd had enough on Saturday, <laughs> and it came out, and uh, we were all better for it to enter, to uh, 
to enjoy it. That's for sure. So Dixon at spun in Canada corner, trying to get going again at Billy Mitchell bend. And then that's where they made the contact. It was just a wild crash in real time power with the double birds got up and even kind of grabbed Scott Dixon by the shoulders. Yeah. A couple this times. was such a, a crazy incident that it got picked up like ESPN on their, their front page website. Yeah, well, you know, like, ESPN, they never put IndyCar out front unless there's some sort of physical altercation or, or a major tragedy. Crash. Yes. Yeah. And so, so this was, I mean, all in all power getting IndyCar headlines beyond motorsport. And I'll say that's a positive. Obviously his race weekend, essentially a negative as he finished in 13th, moving up from 22nd. But for him, it's, it's been a rough start to the championship as well. I mean, yes, he's sitting in eighth, but outside of a, a second at Detroit, he's not really been much of a contender. He, he, he got a, a podium at Alabama, but this is a guy who's had a, a tough season. He had a tough Indy 500 as well. So he's looking to reset uh, starting at mid-Ohio. Yeah, definitely needs uh, a bit of a reset after leaving, leaving Road America disappointed. But uh, my number two, I, I, let's talk about Scott Dixon a little bit more because I think we looked at what happened on Saturday and said, well, this is just another uh, point that you look at Scott Dixon says on the downslide of his career. Scott Dixon of 10 years ago doesn't make that mistake. Does he? Doesn't he? I don't know. But there was nothing to take away from Sunday to make you think that Scott Dixon's close to being ineffective in the IndyCar series and the way he was able to charge from 26th to 5th. Anytime you count out Scott Dixon, that's when he proves you wrong. And we saw that happen this weekend. I mean, people are like, wow, what's happened to Scott Dixon? Like, is he, is he lost it? Which to be fair? Yeah. He's not, he's not competing for the champion championship, but Alex blows in his own category. Nobody's competing with no one's competing for the championship. So like you have to give him a pass there. And for Dixon, look, he's been consistent, right? Other contenders outside of, of course, below. I mean, even Marcus Erickson, he's been top 10 every race, but you get outside of that, New Garden's boomer bust, as always. Pato Award, same deal. Uh, being too aggressive at Indy, throwing away a potential race win. Detroit, uh, yeah, yeah, the issues, but you're at least going to collect more points. And instead, you try to send it versus a lapped car in a corner. That doesn't work. Um, even Scott McLaughlin has been back and forth. So for, for the other guys up at the top in the points battle, I mean, Scott Dixon has been really consistent. The the one exception is long beach when he was taken out by Pato award. Yeah. So he, he's been as, as steady as ever is making more mistakes. I think we can all agree on that, but still has the race craft to be a huge contender. So started off terrible for him on Saturday but recovered pretty darn well. And I don't know if we could expect any better from Scott Dixon in starting 23rd in the first time he's jumping into that new car, new tub was for qualifying. Didn't even have a shakedown, nothing. And so for him to start 23rd and be able to climb up all the way to fourth in a car that he was pretty unfamiliar with was, uh, was pretty darn impressive. All right, by third, let's talk Aero McLaren. Because, yes, Pato yes. Award got a podium, uh-huh. but we're halfway through the season, and this is supposed to be some super team, zero race wins. And we went into this season saying, this team is on a prove-it, you know, win an Indy 500 and or championship, 
and and, and be the team that you know you you kind of say you are out there. And to me, I was surprised that Alexander Rossi in the race fell back. He even seemed confused. I mean, he started fifth, and you thought if qualifying he got some breaks. I mean, he could have started on the the front row, um, and then. Finishing in 10th. I mean, he was never a factor at a track that he's been really good at. So that was a surprise. Pato Award finished third, started second. I, I mean, he wasn't really ever a factor, though, at the front. And then Felix Rosenquist uh, with issues going off track. The Indy 500 crash seemed to be the, the key thing we talk about, but I, I feel like the pressure is just building on him as he, he finished 20th as far as trying to keep that seat. Right, I think he's helped if if Alex Pelot goes to Formula One. I think he's helped very much to try to keep that seat. But uh, right now, it's been a disappointing season for McLaren because year three, we say, okay, this is when they're really going to break out, right? Um, in terms of, of them being able to get wins and compete or win. Uh, it's, it's no longer com- competition. It, it's competing, okay? Now you have to take it. You need to win 500s. You need to win championships. And McLaren isn't doing that. And so, yes, it's so far it's a, been a disappointing season. You look at a positive and say they have two drivers in the top seven in points, which is more than what Andretti Autosport can say, right? Uh, but at the same time, they don't have any race wins either. And um, that's kind of where we stand with McLaren is when are they going to make that jump? When are they going to break through and truly be a power team. They're built to be a power team. They spend like they're your power team. They don't win like they're a power team. Pato Award has won two races each of the last two seasons for his four career wins. No wins yet. We're halfway through. I, I guess I'm just very surprised unless this team comes out and you know, as a, a dominant Iowa weekend again like Pato did last year, getting second and first. Um... I, I'm just very surprised at how things have gone halfway through the season. And halfway through the season, seven of the eight races have been won by Ganassi or Penske. The only win that's not Ganassi or Penske is Kyle Kirkwood. Does that continue in the second half of the season? Because you and I have talked about people saying how competitive this series is. And you and I both agree that it's not as competitive as people like to say it is. It's competitive in terms of qualifying times. Yeah. But on race days, it's not competitive. It's two teams that are it's two winning teams the bulk of the races. That are making the minimal amount of mistakes, both as drivers and in the pits and in strategy and execution and putting full races together. There's two teams that can do it consistently. That's it. That, that just so happens the two teams that can compete for a championship. And. We talked about, okay, you can expand that to four teams with teams that can win a race because now we've gone back, what, two-plus years now for any team outside of those top four to have won a race. And that was Meyer Shank with Elio winning the 500. Yeah, in 2021. And we're we're two-plus years removed from that. Yet now you're looking at a first half of the schedule that only one win outside the top two teams and I think it's a worrisome trend if that continues into the second half of the season because the, the, the tired old old talk that the IndyCar is the most competitive uh, racing series in, in the world, or at least North America, is not correct. 
if these trends continue. It's not. More teams, more drivers can win races in NASCAR than IndyCar. And I know people will say, well, there's more teams, blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is, is the majority of the teams in IndyCar can't win races right now. How much is that, though, a factor that half the grid? Yes, that's a certain factor. Pinsky, Ganassi, McLaren, Andretti. But at the same time, right now, at least this season, there's two teams dominating. And what was the, in the last couple of years, I know this year it's Red Bull, but the last couple of years it's been, well, it's just only two teams fighting for the championship. Or only two teams can win races in Formula One. And only one team can win the title. And it's Correct. shifted from Mercedes to Red Bull. Correct. It's like, you're not far off from being Formula One in that sense, saying there's only two races, two teams that can win a championship. And right now there's... Only two teams that can win a majority of the races with the Andretti Autosport and Kyle Kirkwood being the saving grace, the only other driver outside of those top two teams to win a race this year, Long Beach. I will say this, next year with the hybrid engine unit, I think that could be something that is a factor because when you have the same car now going on since 2020 and the engine manufacturers you know, make incremental gains in horsepower, but sure. other than that, and they make, you know, minor adjustments, you know, to the floor and other aero pieces, you know, each year, for, especially for oval tracks. But like, that's it, right? You've had the yeah. same chassis for over a decade. You add in the aero screen in 2020. It's essentially the same car. Now with the hybrid unit and changes with the aero screen weight and everything next year, that will be a difference. And as always, the cream rises to the top. But the, the great thing to, to shuffle the deck is always changing the car. They'll at least have that with the hybrid unit in a different, slightly modified aero screen next year. At least yeah. that's what we're told. So effectively hitting that, reset, which is kind of like what we did at Road Road America last weekend. Yes, that will that will be different. All right, what is it? My turn. Yes, your third. Uh, my third point. Let's talk about Road America. Let's talk about the track. People were so excited about how we were going to break records over the race weekend. We didn't, but it was still a great event, great crowd. We didn't get a TV rating. I didn't see one. Did you? I did. Which means it was terrible? Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Um, but it was on USA. It's expected, for sure. In the next couple of races, maybe USA, the numbers are going to be terrible. But I thought it was a, a more entertaining race, and you and I agreed, than I remember at Road America. It's always like, yeah, the, the scenery is great. It's a great crowd. You talk about the, the, the atmosphere, the environment. But in the end, the racing isn't some of the best racing we see on natural road courses all season. But this race delivered, and particularly the first half of the race in terms of drama. And a lot of it had to do with the repaving and not just the speed, but also the unpredictability and trying to figure out how to race on a largely green track. The repave made drivers take risks that they would not necessarily take. It made the track faster, so you're going a lot quicker on the straights. You're going a lot faster in the corners with the repave. And... It was, it was a, as you mentioned, a great reset for these drivers. We, we saw crashes from guys you'd never expect to see, like you know Scott Dixon spinning in a corner, getting on track slowly, and Will Power, and th- them colliding. Colton Herta went off several times. Grosjean went off a million times in the race. Um, you, you just saw Alex Pillow had his crash in practice two. They get the car ready. He qualifies third, wins the race. So... This was a, a great event 
it's always been a great event since it's returned to the IndyCar schedule back in 2016. But this is the first time that I felt like I bought into the hype of Road America. I'll be honest. I've not been, and I know I need to go. Everyone says that. This is a track I'd like to go to one day uh, for a race weekend. But everyone hypes up this track. Oh, it's the drivers hype it up. The fans go hype it up. This is the first time, I think, on television that I think it played out quite well as far as the, the viewing product. I thought it was a, a great weekend and the ability to hit reset and go to zero for a track, whether it's changes in the car changes to the track is, is refreshing. And that's where we were able to get at road America. And it was, it was, it was tough to corral that track because of the muscle memory and the, and, and how used to the track, that the drivers were here's the thing is is people say well you know you could sim you could sim detroit with the new layout but you can't sim road america in the sense of the changes to the track because of the repave and you weren't able to get that experience until practice began on friday and it was a, a lot of drivers were chasing it through the entire weekend and it made for some some interesting scenarios in the race a lot of offs a lot of I thought this was going to happen with the car, but instead this, a lot of what do I go with reds or, bl- or blacks on this, on this surface. So there was a lot of questions in, in that respect. It was entertaining. And for the drivers like Will Power complaining about the off track surfaces, about the grass. And yes, it, it did look drier there compared to normal as far as the grass, not as bright green as you're used to seeing, especially up in Wisconsin in, in the summer in June, as uh, Townsend Bell pointed out. But, Look, you got to stay on the track, right? Yeah, stay yeah, on I, the track or I, get punished. Yeah, I, I think I have no problem with it. This isn't Formula One. We don't have tons of paved runoff space. This is what makes IndyCar unique. And I thought the track delivered with the repave. And it will be interesting to see the same scenario play out at Laguna Seca at the end of the year. Yeah, could you make some changes? Like, could you you take a roller out there and try to roll out some of the, the bumps? Yeah, but this is Wisconsin. It's a racetrack in Wisconsin. It goes through brutal winters. Things change. It hasn't gotten as much rain as it usually does. It's a similar situation to where we are here in Indiana. And it's a huge track. It's not like you can go around and water a four-mile track. No. Around, like, like, do you imagine the expense and resources you would have to do to try to water a track that large? So it kind of is what it is. I think the track could do some, th- some things. They also don't want to pave or put a lot more asphalt in. They want to keep the natural, you know, terrain, natural grass of the, of the track too, which I appreciate. So I, I'm fine with, Hey, you go off track, you're going to get punished for it, right? If you go off track in an oval or lose it, you're going into a wall. You lose it at a road course. You have an opportunity to corral it before you go into the tires. So I guess it could be worse. You could just could put concrete walls all around road America. Well, it's it's that, or you go into the gravel and get stuck. So yeah, I I think it was a, a exciting new challenge. And NBC did that comparison, I think, on Peacock of the the pole lap from last year to the the speeds this year, and that was fascinating to see how much quicker yeah things were. Yeah, and anytime you can see a IndyCar launch and have all four wheels off the ground is <laughs> is exciting. Very exciting indeed. Other notes from the race weekend: David Malukas. Fourth straight DNF. It's been a tough season. Uh, so for much him uh, you know optimism year. around him after late last season and entering into this season, and similar to Grosjean, with seemingly every week losing more and more confidence in him being able to put together a successful twenty three. Yeah, that's 
that's been uh it, it's been a massive disappointment to say the least uh meanwhile uh, also we learned uh, over the weekend uh, with drivers um, let's see, what do we have here? Alex below giving Chip Ganassi racing their 250th all-time victory across all forms of motorsports. As far as on the track, 444 on track passes, 386 for position, 110 passes in the top 10, 32 passes in the top five. All the most since IndyCar came back to road America in 2016 as well for that event. So uh, uh, another major positive there. We mentioned Roman Grosjean having a very, very difficult race weekend. There was a lot of contact and and stuff early for a lot of drivers. Here's what I did not understand. They were throwing penalties around, and they were largely fair. Well, the one I didn't understand, no penalty on Renus VK for punting Felix Rosenquist. That was as textbook of a punt as you're ever going to see. Right. And that's why these drivers and teams get frustrated at race control and the lack of consistency in calls and what's allowed and what's not and how you're supposed to race each other and all that stuff when the obvious calls are not made. I I don't know what they saw that was different than anybody else, but for some reason that's not penalized. That was about as a a given of a penalty as I think I've ever seen. And yet no penalty. Yes. I I don't understand. And, And the driver's gripes on race control this year have been warranted because they're, as you mentioned, what is a penalty and what isn't? Like I, I get it in some situations where you're side by side. That's one thing. Like Pato and Dixon at Long Beach, and, and Dixon, you know, said like you know that should be a penalty, and and Pato said ah, deal with it. And IndyCar is officiating in a way that they're letting them race. That's fine, but there has to be a line somewhere. And, yeah. and I thought the the VK Rosenquist situation that was a clear penalty. And if that's not a penalty. Then what nothing is, is. <laughs> all right uh, just when you and i think exactly this is exactly the problem yeah and i think the frustration with 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 drivers is just when they think that they've figured out okay this is a penalty and this isn't and this is what's going to be called and this isn't is race control makes make some buying mind-boggling call either for or against a penalty that throws it all up in the air again and you're and just it, it switches everything around because they're like all right well i thought that was a penalty it's not so now i got to figure out what's a penalty again Okay, TV rating, so it's not great. USA Network, so you knew that was going to be poor, but 385,000 fans for Sunday's broadcast. The first race a year ago on USA in Detroit averaged 354,000. The second uh, at Gateway had a, a weather delay, so we'll see how Mid-Ohio performs as far as TV rating. We never got any release from uh, anything uh, Peacock-wise, so... which. Usually, you usually don't hear from them when it's not no. good. And the, the cable ratings, look, they are what they are. They're not good. I'm not going to harp too much on it because I, I have zero expectations. Yeah, what can you say at this point? Right. The, the, on NBC, you can at least have expectations. On cable, you're just not going to draw a crowd. Also, Father's Day, uh, you're not, you're not going to get uh, a, a good crowd. I don't know. I mean, you got a lot of people that went there. I mean... I don't know if I'm the prototypical father or anything, but I just want to be left alone on Sunday. And I looked at it and I said, now this didn't happen, of course. I looked at it and my wife kept asking me, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, nothing. Well, you got to be wanting to do something. No, I really don't. (laughs) I don't want to do anything because I'm looking at it and say, I can have an afternoon of watching Formula One, getting a good nap in during Formula One, recording IndyCar, and then watching IndyCar after. 
and then probably sneaking in the Indy Lights race as well. And I'm thinking that would be a perfect Sunday for me. I didn't get it. Uh, I had to watch. Um, on, you didn't ask for it. I did. I did ask for it. It was like, oh, it's a whole other thing. But yeah, it's like I'm thinking a majority of dads would just like to be left alone and and watch TV. And and I think maybe that would get them a good rating. But I guess not. I don't treat it. I guess as other holidays or holiday weekends. I think you should be able to get a decent rating on Father's Day. But Cup doesn't race on Father's Day, so maybe there is no, something to that. But Cup races on Easter and Mother's Day. Yeah, which explain is that to me. Baffling. Why Mother's Day and not Father's Day would be my thing. Uh, meanwhile, this stat from Calhoun 98, Russ Thompson, Tony Kanaan is the best average finish of any champion both series since 2000. He had an astounding 3.0 average in 2004, 15 top fives in 16 races. That is ridiculous. Only three others uh, in the threes since 2000. After yesterday, Alex Bellows a 3.5, obviously on pace for a tremendous season. So that puts it in perspective of how dominant this start to the season has been for Alex Below. Been very impressive. And and kudos to Ryan Hunter Ray in getting into the wall and wrecking uh, during qualifying, but still getting his way up to 17th place. I know it's not flashy, it's not sexy, but for him, his first weekend, and you mentioned it, that, that kind of you know is at the, the barometer for a guy that jumps right into the seat and trying to learn everything really quick. But an experienced veteran can take you to 17th despite going through all that. You could say, does Connor Daly do that? And my answer would be probably not. It's very debatable because here's the thing. People complaining about the lack of result there for Ryan hunter Ray. You were getting 15th, 16th, 17th yeah. you know, with, with Connor Daly. So right. I think the real test will be what will we see at Mid-Ohio where you, you, you have a, a road course under your belt again. And then in particular, Iowa, a, a track. Ryan hunter Ray is a great short oval driver. Um outside of Joseph Newgarden, I guess you could use, you could probably say Pato Award as well. Um, he is one of the best of the best on short ovals, and that will be fascinating to see You know, if he gives Ed Carpenter Racing a fighting chance at Iowa in the doubleheader. Yeah, I would definitely agree. So, so far so good, I feel, for um, Ryan Hunter-Ray. All right, if you agree or disagree with us, and I'm sure many disagree on the, the Connor Daly opinions. Yeah, let us know. Let us know. You can find us newtrackrecordpodcast.com is the website. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free to sign up for. Uh, you can also check out the store on the website. We have stickers and t-shirts for sale. You can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, Stitch, and several others for their generous support each and every month. You can support us for as little as a buck a month. So that's how you can... Uh, be a part and help us out as well. We appreciate it. You can find us on social media, IndyCar Podcast, the handle on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Just search for New Track Record. Our email address, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And as always, you can listen in for free on your favorite podcasting platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, CastBox, whatever you prefer, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform. Mailbag time, and we'll start with rate the race from over the weekend. How would you rate? I had it at a mm, seven and a half. Wow, that low? Yeah. Really? Yes. Why so low? High expectations. Um, I don't know. Um, looking back, I, it was I'm a, just surprised. The the first half was 
First half was really a good. nine. Yeah, the second half uh, was a bit of a struggle. Uh, it was good. Get me wrong, but it what didn't it wasn't as good as the first half. If you would have flip flopped it, and the first half was was the second half, I'm probably rating it higher than that. But um, no, I think after the excitement of the first half, I thought it was a little bit anticlimactic. That's what I'm going with. Uh, I'm going to go with eight and a half. I thought it was really good. Obviously not super close at the finish, but you had good battles in the top five toward the end. Plus Colton heard a dropping. So you at least had some late drama, but I'll go eight and a half. So here's what uh, listeners had to say. Bengals DFW gave it an eight would have been a nine. If Grosjean had punched power, <laughs> uh, H Sabedra said nine out of 10 more cautions than I expected, but really picked up at the end. Here's the thing. We had a lot more cautions like road. America's had several of these where there it goes caution free. Yeah. Or one at the most, but that that's the beauty of the un, unknown with that track is you had a lot of, a lot of issues and led to yellows and led to action on those restarts. Uh, Cola show bear eight for how many times Grosjean was off track. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rock them D gave it an eight field. Say packed up an elbows route opinion. They told Colton to hit a number to make it to the end. After he finished, he had enough fuel to drive the four miles back to the pits. I know it was at reduced speed, but I'd rather win and coast into one out of fuel. So apparently they short-filled him, plus they had radio issues, as we mentioned earlier. So I, I think both of those factor into that. According to Stitch, gave it an eight. An average race at Road America is better than a good race at a lot of tracks. I thought this was above average, personally. Sure, I'd agree. Plain Spades race, nine out of ten. Pillow Dub, zero out of ten. Overall, 7 out of 10. Yeah, a Pillow hater, huh? Yeah. Uh, Big D Cart gave it an 8, just like everyone else, I guess. Perhaps Kirkwood will have something for Pillow at Mid-Ohio. Mid-Ohio is going to be... If Pillow dominates and wins Mid-Ohio, like, this is going to be like Pack an historic up. season. Yes. Uh, Jeremy from HBG, 8 for the race, 2.2 for my internet provider, because with that speed, I ended up buffering my way to 5 minutes behind at the end. Really can't wait for REMC to get the fiber hooked. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Uh, P. P Gaynor 14, seven and a half. NK Harden gave it an eight. R. Cole gave it an eight. Good race with some good drama throughout. Very entertaining. I don't understand Herta's or Armstrong's strategies. I think with Herta, it was, as we mentioned, other factors. But Armstrong, yeah, we didn't talk about Marcus Armstrong. A guy who's looking like a sure top 10 finish. And then they keep him out for absolutely no some reason. Some stupid reason. Because then they- he goes off track and finishes in 24th. I, I don't understand. Yeah, a guy that got screwed over by strategy, it was uh, it was him for sure. And then Hunter's Way 67 gave it an 8. Uh, just wish AA hadn't screwed up the strategy for Colton. They gifted that win to Pillow. So that's a look at uh, rate the race for this week. Uh, other notes, uh, other tweets from the weekend, and of course, Will Power, a spicy Will Power, as I referred to him. Yeah. Uh, D. Sullivan 251, an angry Will Power is entertaining. Hunter's Way 67 says, I love it. Drop the gloves. Jeremy from HBG. He was last seen insulting a hockey puck. <laughs> and uh, P. Gaynor 14 sent a, a gif of, uh, who's the guy from SNL who's, who comes in on a weekend update and is it like Stefan or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Saying spicy. So, uh-huh. Um, that's pretty good. Good stuff there. I don't know if we have a whole lot of other uh, things to get to. Okay, th- we have these from... The, the championship. So you posted this poll. Alex Pillow, 89%, nearly 90%, just over 10% said someone else as far as who wins the championship. Yeah. Uh, about expected, I thought. FitJ1983. I think it would take a, a massive m- m- a, a amount of mechanical failures for him to not win. 
as he clarified. Um, Ganassi as a whole is just on another level with pace and reliability this year. Find it mind-boggling that Newgarden is somehow in third, despite not really having any pace at road or street circuits. Yeah. Uh, Daniel SCM 2004 said AP wins this in a cakewalk. Big D cart. It'll be Plo, but I'm still picking Kirkwood to win mid-Ohio. Hunter's Way 67 says championship is done. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I, I don't think we're we're going anywhere. Um, and, and then FitJ1983 said, I think the gap closes a little bit with Iowa twice. Gateway hev- heavily favoring Newgarden. So Plo one and Newgarden number two. For a fourth straight year, they've been one or two. Four straight years. Mm, back and forth. I, I do think the key weekend left is Iowa, obviously, yes. with two points-paying race, fully points-paying races in two days. If Alex Pillow comes out of there with at least one win, regardless of what he does with the other race, the, series, the, the, the championship's over. All right, so that's a look at the mailbag. Time for news and notes. Takuma Sato will stay with the number 11 car for Ganassi for the doubleheader Iowa. Kind of surprised about that. Are you a little surprised, but after would... how Armstrong, like I, I almost feel like Road America was an audition potentially. Yeah, and but I know, but he didn't. It wasn't his fault. No, it, it was not. Uh, Sato did the Iowa Speedway test that, that took place on Wednesday of this week, as well as we record on Thursday morning, June twenty second. Uh, so that note. Also, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star had, had an article with Ed Carpenter and, and Ryan Hunter Ray coming into the team. And this little nugget, Bitnile staying on with the team through the end of 2023. Uh, also, Ed Carpenter says they're closing in on a new deal for the future. <laughs> I just find it amusing. But, uh, you know, a month ago at this time, uh, Connor Daly was telling people that he and his sponsor could go to another team and how loyal and stuff they were to each other. And now Bitnile is about to sign a, a longer deal with Ed Carpenter Racing. Careful what you say out there, right? Yes. Absolutely. Meanwhile, IndyCar schedule news. We have a lot, a lot on here. So first off, you had Roger Penske at the Milwaukee Mile on Sunday morning before the IndyCar race at Road America as uh, the Milwaukee Mile hosting uh, an event there that weekend. Bob Sargent, the uh, promoter. Uh, So they're both there. Hmm. Interesting, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the, the first thing. Then... You have stories come out about this. We talked about Sao Paulo. So an update on that. Apparently during the Brazilian broadcast, they mention it. And we mentioned SP Tourists. Uh, that's the Tourism and Events Agency of the City Hall Secretary of Tourism. So that's what that means about bringing the series back to Brazil in 2024. Uh, it was confirmed to TV Cultura, which is Brazilian over-the-air broadcaster. Uh, the target is a June race date. An idea is running... Uh, at Interlagos instead of the street track. So there's a bit of an update there. And then as far as Milwaukee, Pinsky kind of downplaying this in an article uh, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star put out there. But notice how there's no outright denial. Well, what could be... Now, he hints at one particular massive thing that needs done. What could it be? It's got to be something with like the walls or, or the pits. So uh, Pinsky saying they made some improvements in the Indy Star article. They're interested in us coming at some point, but we haven't made any commitment at all. I wanted to see it, and they made some big steps there, which is good. I'd like to come back. They have quite a bit. Uh, they have to do quite a bit more work. I would say that's the bottom line. What they've done with the soft walls and some of the safety things are as good as I've seen, but it's not all done. 
we've got a pretty big step still to take. As you mentioned, I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's more safer barriers or if it's something with the pits. Higher fencing. fencing? I I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But there's something that's a big, big caveat there that's preventing Milwaukee Mile from being officially on that schedule. And again, Milwaukee Mile hosting a NASCAR trucks race August 27th. Keep that date in mind. The same weekend as Gateway. I mean, could they be, I mean, they still have two months until that race. Mm -hmm. They have eight weeks to not only do what IndyCar is looking for, but make sure they have everything in place for the truck series. Because you have to think the truck series race is a, a dry run to try to convince IndyCar to come back. Plus, the Wisconsin State Building Commission, remember, State Fair Park is is a government-owned property, so they approved nearly $3 million with funds from the park, state and private entities for track improvements. Uh, they repaired and added numerous safer barriers. So Penske still says, though, additional upgrades are needed. But again, not saying specifically what those are did say anything is possible but we don't have any kind of a deal yeah i don't think they have a formalized deal because they haven't signed the contract that doesn't mean they're not in serious discussions but look there could be a deal effectively could be a deal on the table if they go through all their checklist and make sure everything is checked off and what they need yes i i just think this will happen i don't think there's reason to be alarmed just because it's not finalized yet also, Pinsky plays things pretty close to the vest. This stuff doesn't really leak. Yeah, and it's been a long-standing rumor that Milwaukee would be on the schedule in 2024, as we mentioned it last week. It's expected to, to be named to the schedule and as part of a three-year deal, likely Pinsky Entertainment promoting the race itself. But I, I just think there's no reason to panic based on what Pinsky said. This is just standard procedural stuff. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he doesn't say that, that they don't have... The- in the plans that one big thing or whatever that could just be when they visited not everything is in place but they're working on making sure everything is in place meanwhile marshall pruitt with an article on racer.com they're trying to f- a couple of things with the schedule for 2024 obviously the gap between st pete and texas number one and then the 2024 paris olympics uh that runs on nbc and their partners july 26th through august 11th so that would impact the nashville race and the ims brickyard race well i think the Brickyard race will take care of itself because I think Cup is back on the Oval in 2024. I think we might see like an alternating kind of schedule with that. Uh, and then Nashville, look, they're going to have a different track as it is. So that will be fascinating how they, they work that one out. I would imagine they figure that out already for Nashville next year, but that's that's a bigger issue moving the date and all that stuff in a major metropolitan area as opposed to saying oh we're going to move the road course at indy back a couple weeks or up a couple weeks like there's a lot going on in in a city the size of nashville you got to make sure you're not going up against something else so but i imagine those discussions have already been had and i imagine they've already agreed or tentatively agreed on a date next year for that race mark miles saying as far as the indycar calendar not expecting significant expansion next year. He said, I think domestically, the number is more likely than not going to remain at 17. Now, does that mean Milwaukee could replace, say, IMS Road Course? Yeah, I think it does. Or potentially Gateway, if the crowd's bad. It, it wouldn't shock me if that is a track that unfortunately goes away just because they got their cup date. Uh, then says there are prospects for some racing after the championship is over outside of the U.S. If that occurred... I would add to the total number of races. Obviously, we talked about Brazil. 
a, a June date, and then Argentina and the issue with Argentina is pretty simple. They want a championship points paying event. Marshall Pruitt saying on the mailbag this week, I've heard the promoters on the Argentina side only interested in supporting it. If it's a full round of the championship, not a postseason non-points event, which is what IndyCar has put out there on the table. Remember, there's supposed to be a test on the circuit, what, in October with two IndyCar teams? Right. For this year, so... I don't blame the uh, the promoters. Like, I I don't understand. I do understand. They just want to run it later in the season. But here's, here's my thing. Full disclosure... Once you get into the fall, I'm in football mode. So if there's a non-points paying race in Argentina on the same weekend as some big college football games and NFL games, I really don't know when I'm going to watch that race because it doesn't matter. I mean, it'll be cool to turn on and watch and see the big crowds probably, but if it doesn't matter for the championship, it's yeah, not going to be as... Watch? Yeah, seriously. Even, look, the, the Colts will stink this year, but... If it's a non-points-paying event, even the indie market's not going to tune right. in for that. What's the point in watching that? What? What? I, I, yeah, it's just it's weird. I think hopefully IndyCar sees it for what it is and just absurd is these people want to host an IndyCar race. You don't have people lining up to host IndyCar races, okay? So figure it out. You can at least slot one of them into the early season gap between St. Pete and Texas. Correct? That's not hard. Yes, and weather-wise, it's better. It's better because that would be it's like August there. Yeah, September. That, yeah, that would flips. be like ending be late summer. Yeah. So, I think it fits in perfectly there. What's the problem? Um, I don't know. I hopefully IndyCar isn't well, I can say they're they're complicating things too much, I feel at this point. And to me, I I guess it it means less to me than IndyCar. Like if you ended your season and your championship, I guess in in Buenos Aires or Argentina or something like, but I don't see the problem. But I know with your with your corporate sponsors and all that stuff, it's a big that's, deal. Yeah, that's a no no. Rifle through a few other news and I- notes items. Adam Stern reporting uh, as far as renewals for next year's Indy Five Hundred event. Currently tracking toward an increase in renewals year over year. Let's not forget Kyle Larson will be part of the uh, entry list for next year as well. I, I think we're looking at, I, I don't want to say with 100% certainty, but I would say if I were to put a percentage as far as reserve seats selling out, I, I think a, a very, very high percentage. You think we're on the way to that? Yes, I, I really do. We were close this year. Exactly, a few thousand away. Uh, congrats to Katie Kyle. Um her and uh, Taylor Kyle welcomed their second child, Knox, for the weekend. So Taylor now with Chip Ganassi Racing. Uh, meanwhile, 100 Days to Indy, second season, according to Mark Miles, is very likely. That from Racer.com. This is not surprising. We've heard positive things. New AJ Foyt documentary is debuting July 17th at USAC. Uh, that from Vintage Motorsports. So they released the Bittenhausen family documentary. So USAC and Flow Racing doing an AJ Foyt documentary. So that's pretty cool. And I think with that, uh, we are ready for tweets of the week. What do you got? Marshall Pruitt. Line of the day from Ryan Hunter Ray on his upcoming Ed Carpenter Racing debut. I'm just going to be out there humming, picking up quarters. (laughs) Very nice. A uh, classic reference to Driven, of course, if you missed it. Uh, meanwhile, 
from Jenna Fryer after IndyCar, the social media account, tweeted out Jack Harvey jumping the start. And, and did this start from Jack Harvey with the, the like the chef's kiss like yes. kind of sign? But he uh, jumped it. Yes, he absolutely jumped it. And Jenna Fryer tweeting, breaking the rules, jumping the start, and not getting a penalty is apparently a chef's kiss by IndyCar standards. And then uh, Alexander Rossi tweeted, so jump starts are now encouraged and celebrated. The eyes looking emoji. And Scott Dixon said, nothing new here, mate. Mm. And that was his first text or tweet, or tweet in six weeks. Yes. For Scott Dixon. So that puts it in perspective. Hadn't tweeted since May 14th. Oy. Come on, Eddie <laughs> Carr. Well, that's when you have people in charge of your social media that maybe aren't in tune with the rules of the series. And apparently right now, the hybrid cars from Chevy and Honda running at IMS this morning oh. on the road course. Oh. So something to keep in mind is they continue to work on that. Very nice. But that will be uh, something good. And uh, Foyt Racing getting uh, IFS on the car. I saw it on Benjamin Peterson at Road America. Um, a yeah, big sponsor sign. Uh, so they've locked them in. Their IFS Ultimo EAM software. Um, but the logo will be on the car's 2023, 2024, and 2025. So that's a, a big sponsor for that team. Very good. So good news there. They're the official strategic technology partner through 2025 of Foyt Racing. So congrats okay. to them. Whatever that means. And getting but a sponsor. The, yeah, I have no idea clears. what any of that means. But what congrats check to them on that. All right. Time for our random split air driver of the week. All right. We're going to the IRL, late uh, IRL, and in 2005 to Tiago Maderos. I've heard of him. Tiago Maderos, who dominated the Indy Pro Series in 2004. Because you talk about Linus Lundquist and not getting a fair shake in IndyCar, right? So Tiago Maderos won six races in 2004 in the Indy Pro Series, won the championship, and then 2005 gets one opportunity with Dreyer and Rainbow Racing that season. Does not start at Fontana. He crashed in practice, could not make a qualifying or attempt or practice or participate in the race due to the wreck. And that was it. He came back in 2006 in a car fielded by PDM Racing, which was his USAC Silver Crown Series team, and bumped his way into the field on bump day in 06, started the race, finished 31st, and that was it for his IndyCar career. So a guy that won six times in Indy Pro Series, and the year before finished fourth in the championship for Genoa Racing, had all of one start in the IRL. And after that, he returned to his native Brazil, uh, did Stock Car Brazil. He quit motor racing in 07, started a new career flying helicopters. He currently lives in Dubai. So So he's doing okay. He picked something more dangerous than racing. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty, much. pretty impressive if you think about it. Now, uh, the season he won six races, it was a pretty small field for the 2004 Indy Pro, Infinity Pro Series. Um, I'm looking at some of the race summaries, and there weren't a lot of cars. Well, there and maybe- I remember his, his lone start for the 2006 Indy 500. Yeah. He had a funky-looking car, STP sponsorship, and... It was so I'm looking at a picture of it. It's like gray and yellow and red and orange and blue. A lot of a lot of different uh, sponsors on the car, but for him, his lone Indy 500 star, a guy who is 
dominant, as you mentioned, in the feeder series, which at the time was the indie pro series, right? It, yeah, the Infinity, Infinity series, yeah. part had it dropped off, I think, after the 2002 season. Gotcha. But, uh, for him, did race for AFS Racing though. Which, ah, a classic name back in in indie lights and even IndyCar for yeah. But uh, yeah, Mon- uh, Tiago Montero, who who did uh, one race, one and done. At least it was the Indi- Indianapolis 500 for him. So uh, this week's random split era driver of the week from Sao Paulo, Brazil, Mr. Tiago Medeiros. All right, that wraps up this week. Next week it is time. Well, it's technically off a little bit, but it's time for IndyCar midseason grades. We'll give out a letter grade to each team that's full time on the grid. Next week on the show. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.